so we're starting a new series today, and it's in alignment with Renewal Sunday. And, and admittedly, I did not come up with this idea. This is Jameson's idea, so I want to give credit where credit is due. And, and the idea behind what we're going to be talking about, and we've kind of entitled this, this series, Behold, dot, 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 new, okay? And this comes from, it comes from Revelation chapter 21, and I just want to read it to you. In Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 5, it says this, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. In some of your Bibles, it may, be, may say, Behold, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, what I, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished, which we have just sang about, right? Ties so perfectly in there. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So the idea here is, as God is creating this brand new city where he will dwell with his people, he says, look, I am making new. And sometimes I think that as Christians, this, this, here, here's, it's going to get a little touchy here, okay? So as Christians, sometimes we don't embrace the fact that we're new. We don't really embrace it. And I'll tell you why I say that. It's because there are a ton of people that I encounter every day that either they don't feel like they're good enough to come inside the walls of a church, or if they do come into the church, that they feel like they are a second-class Christian. A second-class Christian. I want you to know something today. There are no second-class Christians. There are no first-class Christians. There isn't a classification for us because we don't fit any the classifications. We're at the bottom rung, okay? We're at the lowest of the low. And the fact that we acknowledge that, the fact that we realize that, makes us be at the top. Does that make sense to you? That we are part of this kingdom that God is talking about when he comes to set up his new Jerusalem here on the earth where our physical bodies will be resurrected just like we sang about today. And we will be in the presence of God forever. And God is going to, to feed us this, this, this water of life constantly. This is going to cause us to survive and to live. This is going to come straight from God. It's going to flow straight from his throne. And it's going to be our means of survival. And people so many times, they look at themselves and say, you know what? Man, if I go in that church, that place is going to catch on fire. That's a bunch of godly people in there. And I know my life and I know I ain't godly. There ain't no way I can go in there. You know what church really is? It's just where a bunch of sinners come to talk about the Savior. That's all it is. All of us are recognized that we're not perfect. This is where we come. The perfect people, they need to go to another church or they need to go somewhere else because they ain't in here. There ain't any perfect people in here. I can assure you of that. There's a church actually in Atlanta, and I think they do this just kind of as a joke, but they call themselves Perfect Church, and it's right, right near the old Brave Stadium, and it just blows me away. I've taken a picture of it before and posted it on social media because it's so interesting that it's, it's called Perfect Church. The reality is there ain't no perfect church because there ain't no perfect people. Nowhere. Nowhere. We have one that is perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we serve, and he's the one that we look to as our example. And today we're going to look to him as our example, and we're going to look at what he says as he does something very, very humbling before his disciples. 
In John chapter 13, we're going to read just, I'm going to keep this brief. John chapter 13, we read about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It says in verse 13, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now this is a story that we're all familiar with, right? We've heard it a thousand times. But you know what? If you will pause for just a minute and you will think about what is happening here and you will think about the imperfection that exists sitting around that table, if you will think about who those disciples are, because a lot of times we look at the disciples and we put them up here like, man, those are guys, man, they were walking with Jesus every day. You know they were devout. You know that they were just doing everything right. You know what they were? They were a bunch of fishermen. I don't know if you've ever hung around sailors, but you know what? They're not. <laughs> they're not way up here typically, just so you know. And here we've got these guys. They're hanging around Jesus, and Jesus washes their feet. Now, this is important. This is what's so important about this message. Jesus is teaching them something because typically what happens in that culture and in that time is when you come in for dinner, it's time for supper, you clean your feet. The way that you lay in ancient times, in this particular time where Jesus is, you lay with your feet near somebody else's head. You, you recline on one side. Well, if you, if you are laying there with your feet close to somebody else's head, I don't know about you, but I want your feet to be clean if they're next to my head. I don't want your feet smelling like nachos right next to me. I don't want that. No, that's no good. And there's some people that do not like feet, and I just got you. Like, you are just, if the bathrooms are right back there, if anybody needs to throw up right now, so... But you, what you would do in that ancient culture is you would have somebody there to either have a basin prepared and, and maybe even a servant would wash their feet as they came in. That was the duty of a servant, to wash feet. And it's not a pretty job, obviously. You can imagine. They're walking around every day, and it's basically like they're walking around with their, their chacos on. Their feet are nasty and grimy, and, I mean, they got those chaco lines across their feet, too, you know, where it's dusty in this particular part of the world. So washing feet was not a a pleasant job, and nobody really wanted to do it. Well, all of these guys are hanging around Jesus, and somebody's got to wash feet, but nobody does. It's dinner time. It's time to eat. So what does Jesus do? He gets up from the table, and he takes a towel, and he fills up a basin full of water. He says, I'll do it. Nobody else will, but I will. I can't think of a more beautiful picture of our Savior than for him on his hands and knees washing the dirty, nasty feet of these men who were too good for anybody to step up and say, I'll do it myself. None of the other 12 would would do it, so Jesus said, I I got this. I'm going to show you what it's supposed to be like. Now, you look at these disciples, and sometimes you have in your mind, well, these are, these are guys, they were, man, they were, whew, they were good. They were holy, holy, holy kind of people, you know? Do you realize, I'll just tell you a couple stories real quick. 
Do you realize that uh, Jesus was going to go into a particular town in Samaria, and the people didn't necessarily welcome him there? They used to send people ahead so that they could go and figure out, hey, are we going to be okay in this town, and, and what's it like, and maybe we find a place to stay, and where, what we can eat while we're there. And, and, and this town was not nice in their welcoming party, okay? They, they, they basically did not receive them in well. And they were Samaritans. Now, Samaritans were people that it, they were kind of half Jew and half not. So the Jewish people, the real Jews, didn't really like the Samaritans at all. They, they, they just kind of like, oh, those are half-breed people, and, and they just need to stay in their own place, and they don't really need to, to, to be around us, and we don't need them contaminating our pure culture and religion. So they were kind of looked down upon. And James and John who are in Jesus' inner circle of about four guys, you know what they say to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, why don't you call fire down from heaven to consume them? These are people that were walking with Jesus. Does that sound like a very godly thing to say? Does that sound like a grace-filled message from the disciples of Jesus? Hey, Jesus, why don't you call fire down from heaven to consume them and just wipe them out? So maybe that changes your perspective on them a little bit. James and John, they're brothers, right? So one of the other things that they, they, they've done is, is that they start arguing. Jesus rolls up on those two guys arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They're having this conversation about the kingdom of God. All right, Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. That's going to be awesome. Hey, where do we fit in in that? Am I going to sit on your right or to your left? Or where am I going to sit? I want to know where my throne's going to be. They even go so far as to drag their mom into the conversation. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very godly to me. You see, the reality is, is that these guys are just ordinary men. And they're jacked up, just like all of us. And, and they've got all kinds of problems. And, and we know that Peter, for crying out loud, Peter, he's the biggest idiot of the group. He's the one that's closest to Jesus. But he still just refuses to say anything smart. What does he say? We know that, that shortly after this, while they're having the meal, Jesus is like, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to die. You guys, I know you don't get it. i got to go away. You can't go where I'm going. I'm going to die. And, and that's going to be a good thing. I know you don't think so right now, but that's going to be a good thing. And Peter stands up and says, nope, that ain't going to happen, Jesus. Not on my watch. Even if I have to die, it ain't going to happen like that. There ain't no way that I'm going to let you die and me just sit here and do nothing. And we know Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Peter, like, I, I know who you think that you are, but that's not who you are, Peter. I know you want to pretend like that's who you are, but when the going gets tough, it's not going to go down like that. So the reality is, is that I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to be basically unrecognizable as a human being. And you're not going to be there. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. You're going to turn your back on me when I need you the most. That's who you really are, Peter. And we know that that happens, right? We know that that's who, who Peter is. That's who. See, Jesus called him Peter which means Petros, which means rock, right? So he called him the rock.
but his name was really Simon. He was Simon Peter, right? So anytime he would start acting like Simon and stop acting like the rock, Jesus would call him out on that. He'd say, Simon, Simon. He would like, you're not being Peter, you're being Simon. And he would bounce back between the two. Sometimes he'd be Peter, sometimes he would be Simon. He had two faces, if you will. So you got Peter, the two-faced guy that says that, you know what, I'll back you up, Jesus. And Jesus says, you're not, even when I need you the most, you're not going to, Peter. You got the sons of thunder, James and John, who are asking Jesus to call fire down from heaven to consume the Samaritans. You got them arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And when they can't figure it out, they go call their mama into the conversation. Now, I don't know if you look at that, but when I look at that, I don't see a bunch of holy, holy, holy people. I just see some people that are like me, that are pretty dumb and say dumb things. And try to pretend sometimes like they're a lot better than they are. Not intentionally, but it happens. You know what happens a lot of times in Christianity is that there's a lot of pretending that goes on. And that's the reason a lot of people don't feel welcome to come into a church, because there's so much pretending that goes on. And let me tell you something. You can wear your best, nicest three-piece suit, a nice tie. You can look. Your shoes can be shining. You can do everything you want to. But let me tell you, I know something, too. No matter how you look when you come in here, I know you got a closet. And there's probably some skeletons in that closet, too. And we all got that mess. And we all got that junk. And we don't need to pretend and act like we got it all together and, and make those other f- people that feel like they can't come in here feel that way. We need to acknowledge who we are. We need to let them see who we are. And we need to have real conversations with them about who we are. And stop doing so much pretending like we got it all together. Because I think in an instant, Jesus sh- showed these men in a second who they really were. Here is the king of the universe, the, the, the one that, that can raise the dead. This is Passion Week, so, so we just talked about how he was in Bethany and he, he raised the dead. Like he got Lazarus out of the tomb and let them unwrap him and all that kind of stuff. We talked about that. But here he is looking around going, who's going to wash feet? And nobody steps up to do it, so he says, I'll do it. I got this. In an instant, they recognized who they were. They recognized who they were. So I don't say all this to make you feel bad. That's not why I say all this. I say all this so that you will be real with who you are. And you will be real with who he is. And you will see who Jesus really is through this. Now, it says in this passage that that Judas... Simon Iscariot had, had like, he, the devil had already entered into him, and he already had this plot to have Jesus arrested and killed. That this has already happened. That there was already this thing going on in his mind, that this is what was going to happen, and he had already sold Jesus out. There is no indication in this passage that Jesus left him out and did not wash his feet. There is no indication of that. Knowing full well what was going on inside of, of, of Simon, or excuse me, of Judas, knowing full well what was going on inside of him, Jesus washed his feet. You know what that tells me? 
nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too far out of the reach of Jesus Christ. The man, he'll get down there and wash your feet if that's what's necessary to let you know that he loves you. Even if you're selling him out to die. Now, we get real hard on Judas, and we say, man, I, don't know, I can't believe how he would do that to Jesus. We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus really was God and was resurrected, and, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father now. Judas, when he did that, he was just looking to get some money, and he had a good indication that he was God, but, but we got more information than, than Judas does. And what's so bad is a lot of times we sell Jesus out the same way, and we know the end of the story. had this plot to sell Jesus out. Jesus knows what Peter's thinking too. So we go on to talk about Peter here for a second. We're going to look at some things that Peter says. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He asked the question. I don't know why Peter asked that question, truthfully. I, I don't know why. There's a thousand different people give you a thousand different answers as to why. I think, I think it was just Simon going, really? We, we have to do this? Is this really what we're supposed to? Are you sure, Jesus, king of the universe, the one that knows everything past, present, and future, are you, are you sure that this is the way it's supposed to go down? That right there speaks volumes about who he is. Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing in some way you No, Peter protested. He asked Jesus a question. Jesus gave him an answer. And Peter is so pompous and so arrogant that he responds to Jesus with no. Now, admittedly, if I look at my own life, there are times when I've asked Jesus questions and Jesus gives me an answer. And my response to that is no. You ever been there? Dear God, if I could just, if you would just take hold of this situation in my life. Jesus, I need you to intervene. I need you to, to do what you know is best, and I trust you completely. And God goes, here's your answer. Here's the situation I put you in. And I go, no, that's not the way I planned it. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I asked for. Peter asked Jesus a question. Jesus replied, and Peter says no. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus has just gotten done telling Peter that you won't understand. And here Peter says, no, never, ever will you wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, won't belong to me. I don't know how best to interpret what Jesus is saying here besides to say that unless you let Jesus express his love to you in a real and a profound way, unless you receive it, unless you accept what he is putting out there for you, unless you embrace it, you don't belong to it. You have to accept the fact that he is a servant to you. 
I know that sounds crazy, and it, like we're supposed to be servants of Jesus, and we talk about that all the time. But in order to be a servant of Jesus, you got to let him serve you. And how did Jesus serve you? Well, the greatest way a person could serve another person, to die for them. He says, this is the start, Peter. You've got to see, Peter, I'm serving you. You've got to embrace the fact that I'm serving you. And I'm going to serve you to the end, to my own end. Peter, you've got to re receive this. You've got to accept this. This, is, this has got to be part of you. If it's not part of you, then you're not part of me. So Simon, being like me, says something dumb. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus is... Has just told him this is what needs to happen. He said no. Finally, they're going back and forth. He says, okay, fine. Then wash my hands and my head too. Don't just wash my feet. Obviously, still not understanding, right? Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you, my disciples, are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So I know that I ran through two paragraphs there without stopping and telling you what it means. It's because I want to summarize for you a little bit here. Peter says, okay, Jesus, I get it. You've got to wash my feet. He says, but wash everything. I need my head cleansed. I need my hands cleansed. I need all that. Jesus says, Peter, wait, you're missing the point. You and my other disciples, the ones who really belong to me, you're already clean. You're already clean. For those people that feel like second-class Christians, maybe because they have a divorce in their past, you're already clean. For those people that feel like they're second-class Christians, because they have a mental illness or emotional struggle and they have to take medication and they feel like, man, all these other people can just pray for it and they feel like they're good, but I have to take medication for what I struggle with. You're already clean. For those people that maybe you have, maybe you're a teenager, maybe a college student, maybe you've got sexual sin in your past and maybe you've turned from that and turned towards Jesus and that the fact that you've already messed up, the fact that you've already kind of that, that's already gone. You feel like, man, I, I, I'm not good anymore. I'm not worth it anymore. I, I've messed up. There's no redemption available for me. That I'm a second-class Christian because of something in my past that I let define me. You're already clean. You're already clean. Jesus died for the fact that when you turn to him and you belong to him, you're already clean. Even Judas Iscariot, he, he, 
He cleaned his feet. He still, to the very end, had the option to come to Jesus and say, you know what, I messed up, I did something wrong, but instead he didn't do that. Instead, he stuck with his plan and said, you know what, I'm going to continue this thing and I'm going to kiss Jesus on the face so that they know that that's the one that should be captured. Do you know that even after that, I really honestly believe that because our Savior is a Savior, I believe that Judas had the opportunity to come to Jesus right then and repent and say he was sorry. And Jesus, because of who he is, would have embraced him in love and said, it's okay. We sing that song about letting our past define us. Letting our our past say who we are. We're not defined by that. We are defined by a Savior that says, Behold, I make all things new. That's the way that He works. He is a creative God. If you look and you read Genesis, you will see His nature is to be creative. He creates. He takes nothing and makes something. So when you look at your life, and you look at what you've done, and you look at the brokenness that exists, and how you've rebelled against God, and sinned blatantly against God, and just snub Him in the face, and said, God, I want nothing to do with you. And then you turn to God, and say, God, you are real. I truly believe that you served me on the cross. He takes nothing, and makes something new. He says, behold, I make all things new. You're not a second-class Christian. You're not a third-class Christian. You're not a fourth-class Christian. And you're definitely not a first-class Christian. You're somebody who needs a Savior. Just like everybody else. Just like the person sitting next to you. Father, God, you're good. And you're glorious. And so many times in our lives, God, we feel like we've done too much. We've gone too far. We've messed up. There's no way that you could love us. There's no way that you could care about us the way that your word tells us that you do. Well, today we have looked at a passage that has fully embraced the reality of who our Savior is. We have opened your word, and God, you have spoken to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. You have said, we're not second class. We're not second class. God, you thought enough of us that you washed all of our feet. When you hung on that cross, when you were beaten beyond recognition, when, 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 when you were, had that crown of thorns pressed upon your head, God, you were serving us. God, you were washing our feet and making us clean. You were making us brand new. God, I thank you for the reality of the fact that just like you told Peter, already clean. There's nothing else that needs to be done. I pray that we would be people that embrace that, Lord. That we wouldn't continue to be defined by our past. We wouldn't continue to be defined by what we have done or who we were. We would look at who we are and we would say, God, I believe that when you said, behold, I make all things new, you were talking about me. Yes, you were talking about the new creation. And yes, you were talking about the fact that you were going to come and dwell with men in this new Jerusalem. God, but that is a picture of who you are, the fact that you make new, the fact that you are a creative God. You do it over and over and over again. And Lord, in my life, there's so many times when I fall short. There's so many times when I feel like I've done something wrong. And man, I'm just not worthy. Well, I am thankful 
God, that you tell us in your word that you make new. This renewal process that you put into our lives, that you continue to speak truth into our lives, that God, we are loved by you and we are part of your kingdom. And God, if we have embraced you fully, then we are new. Now, Father, I know that there are probably some people in here, they don't know you. God, they're still separated from you because they've never really embraced this truth. They've never let you wash their feet. What a humbling experience it is, God, we recognize how you served us, and you served us in the ultimate way by sacrificing yourself on the cross. Lord, I pray for that person. God, I pray that you would break their hearts wide open. Lord, I pray that, that all the guilt and all the shame and the things that they, they, held on, they hold on to every single day, God, I pray that they would let that go. They would put it fully into your hands and in your arms. God, they would allow it to be nailed to the cross, and they would be nailed to the cross forever, and they would say, behold, I am new. pray that you've spoken to them. God, just like, just like Judas, though, we've got the choice to respond to you or not. We've got the choice to turn to you or not. And Lord, I pray that they would make the choice to turn to you today. God, maybe there's some Christians today that are in this place, and God, they feel like, man, I've just messed up so much. I've gotten so far from you, God. I've gotten in this place, and I don't even know how to dig myself out. God, I pray that today, God, they would have just been reminded that you make new just make new and, and maybe somebody needs to come down to this altar and pray and maybe that's the place where they feel most comfortable praying I know for me there's sometimes when I just want to fall down on my face before you and I get down at this altar and I say God just remind me that I'm new and there is something so liberating and so freeing the fact that God you made us new God I pray I pray for the broken heart the hurting soul today God I pray that you'd make them new God today is your day to your Holy Spirit.